Amen. Well, I'm going to do two housekeeping things real quick as we get started. First of all, if you've come in and you have not grabbed a communion cup and you would like one for communion later, I'm going to ask those in the back to kind of sneak in and just wave at them and we'll make sure you're getting a communion cup. If we can... You guys do? Um, Rich? Thank you. Thank you. Keep your hand up. Someone's going to kind of come around to your side there and make sure you guys get a communion cup. Very good. Thank you very much. Now, the other thing I want to communicate, just a housekeeping detail, we're talking about these communication cards also down here as well. So, one of the things we're going to ask you to communicate this week, if you would, we're hoping to do for the men a fishing trip, kind of going out a little bit, maybe where you can't see ground and, and land, and bobbing along. We're hoping to do something out in the, in the ocean and do some deep sea fishing in two weeks on the 14th. So if this is something that you would be interested in, um, as I start to coordinate these things more particularly this week, if you would just jot on the back here today, I've decided or praying about, but then on the bottom there is something I thought you should know. I should know if you'd like to go fishing. So if you're interested, guys, in going fishing with us on the 14th, on that spot right there, put your name on the front, put this, let me know in the back, I'm interested in going fishing. Now, if you're a guest with us today, we have a gift for you over here. You can put all that information there, and you can hand it to the person at the top of the stairs, and we'll give you your gift, and I'll get, informa- I'll get that information. If you're more a regular part of our church family here, just place it in your offering plate as it comes by later, and I'll get it that way as well. And if you're watching online, I'll ask you to just send us an email or, or jot to us online, and we'll get that as well, and we'll have more information for you next week. So if you're interested in going fishing, guys, let us know. Now, we're picking back up in the book of Habakkuk, and as we have been walking through this, a number of things we've talked about. One, Habakkuk is a guy that we really don't know a whole lot about, except for the fact that he wrote the book of Habakkuk. What we do know is he's upset. He's vexed, maybe is a better word, because he is seeing what's taking place in the nation. He's seeing this rebellion. He's seeing this obstinacy. He's seeing this pushing back on the things of God. He's seeing this sinful rebellion, and he's vexed with that. He's, he's upset because he's concerned with the righteousness of God. He's concerned with people walking with and knowing God and honoring God with how they live. He's seeking, he's upset because they are choosing to be far from God instead of entering into relationship with God. And so he starts a conversation with God. And so as we come to the book of Habakkuk, we see him starting with an objection and complaint about what's going on. And God says, I have a solution. And then God tells him the solution. And then he's upset with the solution. So he has a conversation with God about the solution. And then God responds to that. And then the third chapter is, is, a, is a psalm of praise. This morning, we're going to listen to God's response. So last week, we looked at the second complaint. We're going to read back through that again a little bit today. Because God starts now to answer the questions that Habakkuk is asking. He's answered the first set of questions. Now he's answering the second set of questions. Now we also place Habakkuk just before the Babylonian captivity period began. So sometime during the decline of the Assyrians, but just before the full ascension of the Babylonians, probably around 600 BC or right around in that area. 
So I guess the captivity is, the first round of captivity takes place right around 605. Babylon is destroyed, comes in and kind of wipes out Jerusalem in the late 500s. And the nation of Israel goes into captivity. So it's before all, before Babylon first comes in and starts to occupy is probably where we would place the book. So let's have a word of prayer and we'll jump into the things that are in front of us today. Father, as we take time to look at your word today, as we think through and process through what is taking place. Father, I would ask you just got our time that, Father, you would build into us the things of Christ, the substance of Christ, and you would build into us those values and principles that you think we need to own as followers of you. Maybe, Lord, today you're, you're going to be calling someone who doesn't know you and you're prodding them to put their faith and trust in you. Father, we would just ask today that you would be at work. Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, if you would, turn with me to Habakkuk chapter, one, ch- chapter 2, and we're going to look at verse 1. He's expressed his concern, and then he says this. I will stand at my guard post and station myself on the lookout tower. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I should reply and what I should reply about my complaint. Now, there's going to be a reply. His reply is going to be in chapter 3, but it's not another question. It's a psalm of praise. Now, as you listen to some of the commentators, they would say that probably actually what he was saying is, I'm going to go out to the field. In the vineyard, often there's a high tower where you can kind of watch and look, keep, make sure things are going on and make, making sure things are okay. Just kind of like there would be a watchtower on the corner of the city where you can kind of watch to make sure that people are not coming towards your city that shouldn't be there. Or if you see some suspicious people coming, you can let the people at the gate know so they can be more prepared and ready for whatever is coming down the pike. But the suggestion is he's going to a place where he's actually going to pray. It's probably that place where he goes to pray. It's probably that place of reflection and meditation. But he says, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to this place where I normally hear God and listen to God, and I'm going to wait to see what God has to say. Now, question. Do you have a place where you go? Is that a routine in your life? Is that something that would be a part of the regular routines of your life, where you would have a place where you have a conversation with God? You know, sometimes in the New Testament talks about the prayer closet, and people have talked about that prayer closet. You know, it really doesn't have to be a closet where you go in and shut the doors and you're kind of kneeling there around all your clothes and your socks and your shoes and maybe the laundry in the corner. We're not necessarily suggesting something like that. But is there a place or a routine in your life where you set time aside, a spot where maybe you sit or a place where maybe you go, and you know kind of this is going to be a spot and a time where I kind of reflect, I kind of slow down. And I have a conversation with God, and I also try to open my ears and open my eyes to see and to hear as God is prodding and directing in my life. It's a healthy thing. And as Habakkuk finished his conversation with God, he settled down to a spot where he was waiting to listen and hear. It's a healthy thing to listen and hear. It goes on. 
because the Lord answered. Look at verse 2. We'll start down and we'll read down through verse 2 and then we'll kind of start to come back and walk through. He said, the Lord answered me, write down this vision, clearly inscribe it on tablets so that one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it, since it will certainly come and not be late. For, not be late. Look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity, but the righteous will live by his faith. Moreover, wine betrays an arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite like Sheol, but, and like death he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself. Go back to verse 2. The Lord answered. The Lord answered. That's huge. It is huge. There are times in our lives where we kind of feel like God doesn't answer. You ever have one of those moments? Maybe you've had a bunch of those moments. Historically, as I've talked to people and people, and as I also listen to people, there's often been three responses. It's yes or no, or it's wait. But I would also add one other piece to that. So it's not always yes, no, or wait. Sometimes it's, let me move you in a, in a different direction. I want you to rethink. I want you to reconsider. It's not yes, it's not no, and it's not wait, but it's kind of move a little bit more in this other direction. I want you to focus over here. I want you to orient over there. I want you to be aware of this. And God has a way at times of doing things. And, and sometimes it's not always with this loud, audible voice. And again, I would suggest as you come back to that point where you're talking to God and spending time in the Word and listening to God on a regular basis, I find often in my journey, it's, it's the Word of God that kind of comes back and starts to prod me as I'm having conversations, as I'm wrestling with God and things. It's amazing how, much, how often I ask questions and the answers are already there in the Word. Should I talk to this person about Jesus? Oh, gee. And then I sit down and read to Matthew and go and be... Make witnesses, uh, go and be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Or you, you, you go to Acts 1.8 and it says, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And you know, you kind of read through and it said, I'm asking, my, I'm asking if I should be a witness and there's the answer. I don't have to ask that out loud because the answer has already been written in a number of places. But he says, write this down. Now, Why do you think God said write it down? Do you think maybe there are other people asking questions? Do you think Habakkuk was the only person around asking questions about God? What's going on? Do you think Habakkuk was the only righteous individual who was vexed by the things that they were seeing taking place? No, I don't think so. But I also think God is saying, write this down, and I want you to write this down because the things of Habakkuk that I'm going to start to talk to you about are things that are going to happen down the line. They're not going to happen tomorrow. They're not going to happen next week, and they're not going to happen next year. They're going to happen down the line a little bit. Their time has not yet come, but uh, these things are going to come to pass. And I want you to write these things down so as these things start to come, bas- come to pass, as these things start to work themselves out, people will come back and they'll look at my word, they'll look at my promises, and they'll say, God said it, and he's keeping his word. 
God said what he was going to do, and he's keeping his word. So write it down. Write it down so that people can, other can, others can see it. Write it down, Habakkuk, so others can hear it. Write it down, Habakkuk, so others who are asking similar questions will also hear the answer. But write it down also, Habakkuk, so in years to come, people will see the answer. And that I've already answered the question. And when it starts to happen, they'll see me being faithful to what I've said. And that's important because we're going to get to that in a little bit. So write this down. Clearly inscribe it on tablets so that one may easily read it. For the vision is yet for the appointed time. It testifies about the end and will not lie. Though it delays, wait for it. I'm trying to remember where you hear, you hear this. This kind of rings in my, in my brain. But the, wait for it. Right? Wait for it. It's like that Heinz ketchup commercial. Anticipation. It's going to come out. It's going to arrive. But wait for it. You know, have you ever noticed how we really tend to not be patient? I noticed, so as you all, many of you know, we sold our house. We've moved. We're living in an apartment just in South Brick, just above Silverton. And so as we come in, I, we drive this every day. We come around the corner and we come to the first light. Invariably, invariably, the next light is going to be red by the time we get to it. Now, you also notice different times you start to see similar cars, the same kind of cars, because people are often traveling at similar times. So these are roads that people travel on all the time. And I'm amazed at the lack of patience. So instead of just kind of putzing through the light to get to the next light because you know it's going to be red. What do people do? So they can go 100 feet and then step on the brakes. It's amazing to me. So I'll start out a little bit and I'll kind of start rolling down the road knowing full well that by the time I get to the other light, it will no longer be red or it will almost not be red and I'll be ready to be green so that I don't have to wear out my brakes. And it's amazing to me. Just take your time. Wait for it. Wait, wait for it. It's going to turn green. Wait for it. It's going to turn green. Just be patient. Wait for it. Time yourself. Pace yourself. But we tend not to be patient. We, have, we tend to be people who want to race to the stop sign, race to the stoplight, and then sit at the stop sign, sit at the stoplight, and say, when is it going to turn green? Knowing full well... It's going to be red for a while. He says, wait. Be patient. We tend to not be patient. We are immediate gratification oriented. Wait. I'm giving you an answer, Habakkuk. I'm telling you it's going to happen, but it's not going to happen right away. So wait. Don't get worked up. Don't feel like you're in a race next to the person, to the person next to you. Just kind of putts along. It's going to happen, but it's going to happen in my time. Wait. But it will certainly come and not be late. Now, do you ever feel like God's timing is off? 
Have you ever felt that way? God, I'm ready for this now. Now. And God's saying, wait, wait, wait. I won't be late. I'll be right on time. I'm not going to be early. I'm not going to be late. I'll be right on time. But you have to wait for my timing. Boy, we struggle with that. We really struggle with that. Because there is a time, there are times when we tend to think that we understand things and have a better picture and perspective on things and that God really should be following our framework and what we think instead of us aligning and following his timeline and his framework. Now this is important because it leads us to what's going to happen in chapter 4. Talks about the nation, I think in particular the nation of Babylon, but it goes, look, his ego is inflated. He is without integrity. The contrast going on here. But the righteous one will live by faith. Now, as I've mentioned to you as we have walked through this, the general sense as you listen to commentators and other people talk about the book of Habakkuk, most of them would come and say that 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 phrase, that second part of verse 4, would be the key linchpin verse or the linchpin statement in the book of Habakkuk, that the righteous will live by faith. And I tend to agree with that. I think that is kind of the key point of what's going on here. Because the whole conversation beforehand kind of lands on this, and then the things that start to unfold rest on this. So what does it mean, the righteous need, as that says, to live by faith? Here's one of the problems that I think we tend to have as we talk about living by faith. We focus in on our holding on. We focus in on our maintaining. We focus in on what we do. I'm going to Hold on to what God says. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to hold the line. I'm going to stand in this spot and I'm not going to move. And there's a part of that. But I think sometimes as we talk about the living by faith, we sometimes focus in on what we do. So I love the line in the Next to last song we sang before we came up, I kind of wrote it down just to make sure I, I had it. It says, wrap me in your arms, Lord. Now, we like the idea of the Lord wrapping us in his arms. But I would say to you, when we start to talk about living by faith, when we start to say, wrap me in your arms, I think living by faith as when we start to lean into being wrapped in his arms. Now think about that for a second. There's something that happens internally, isn't there? When that shift takes place. All of us have had someone come up to us and hug us. But the shift that takes place is when someone comes up and hugs us, 
and we kind of lean into that hug and we just kind of get accepted by that hug, there's something that shifts inside of us. There's a peace, there's a comfort that we find in that hug. An encouragement that we find in that hug. And I would suggest to you that living by faith is not so much wrapped up in how well we hold the line. It's not wrapped up in how well we stay in our spot. As much as it's, I am trusting God to do what he says. I'm trusting the promises of God. I'm trusting the work of God. I'm trusting the promises. I'm trusting in what he says. And I'm going to rest in him. That's the huge issue. Because now it's not so much about us holding the line as much as it's us resting in the reality and in the promise that Jesus is going to hold the line. It's resting in the promise that what God said he will do. And it's not so much about how well we're going to stand as much as it's resting in how well he is going to stand. It's a big difference. And I think sometimes we wrestle with this whole thing and we start to turn it into a work issue. When it's not a work issue, it's tough to work when you rest. You get that? We need to be resting in God. The righteous will live by faith. Now, what's interesting is this is a key verse that shows up multiple times in the New Testament. So let's look at a couple of those times where it shows up. Let's look, first of all, and I have them in your notes, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. But I want to kind of give it in the context of as it starts to roll in. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation. Pause for a second. So when we talk about the gospel, the power of God for salvation, what do we do to get salvation? Nothing except receive it. We are receiving what Jesus has accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary. We are willing to receive. We're making ourselves open to receive what is being provided for us, but we are not working for it. We are only willing to receive it. Because it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew and also to the Greek. For it is, for in, in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. And he's coming back and saying, talking about resting in the promises of God, resting in God's hand. And, 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 and God is reminding Habakkuk, Habakkuk, you need to rest in my hands. You need to rest in me. You are stressed out. You are annoyed. You're vexed. You need to rest in me. Habakkuk, you are frustrated with who is going to come and be the executor of judgment. You need to rest in me. Galatians. Let's go there. Chapter 3, verse 10. 
For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, because it is written, Everyone who does not do everything written in the book of the law is cursed. And we see this still in our culture and our world today. Brian was telling me about the other day. He works, he's a security guard in some of the residences that are up in Lakewood and, and Brick area. A lot of Jewish residents there. And he's there working Friday night. And he's, he's walking through and going through some of the area. There's a family standing around a car that's running. And he says to them, says, is there a problem? And they said, we can't touch it. We can't move it. He says, would you like me to move it for you? Would you please move it into the driveway? And so he gets in the car and pulls the car into the driveway. And then he turns the car off and they're not allowed to take the keys from the car after the car has been pulled into the driveway, doors locked, car turned off. They're not allowed to take the keys from the car. So he has to put the keys on top of the tire because they're not allowed to touch it. Because why? They are doing works. They are jumping through these hoops. They're doing these works that they have identified that they think come from the law. And if they don't do those things, if they don't follow the straight and rigid line, they're in trouble. It doesn't save. Well, because those works are important, but ethics and integrity is not. You process through and you see all sorts of people who keep rigid rules, but then function unethically in other ways. It's not about keeping the rules. And Paul says, listen, it's not about it's the law and keeping all these rules. It was, it was, it was what was behind that. Now it is clear, verse 11, that no one is justified before God by the law because the righteous will live by faith. It's holding on to who God is and resting in him and resting in him for forgiveness, resting for him for restoration, resting in his promises. He continues. We don't know who, who wrote the book of Hebrews. We're going to look at Hebrews in this coming year. But look at this part here, verses 38 down to 39. But my righteous one will live by faith, and if he draws back, I have no pleasure in him. But we are not those who draw back and are destroyed, but those who have faith and are saved. What happens when someone draws back? They start to do things their way. They start to follow their own agendas. They start to follow their own solutions. They start to follow their own ways. Instead of following the routines and the the guidance and the framework that God has put down the things that we rest in him with. So we come back to Habakkuk. So what does it mean then for Habakkuk to live by faith. It means that he needs to rest in God doing what God said he's going to do. It's not Habakkuk's place to try to compel righteousness in the culture around him. It's not his role. It's not Habakkuk's role to try to compel people to have faith. It's not his role. 
Now, does it mean he would call people to righteousness? That's appropriate. Does it mean he would call people to relationship with God? Absolutely. But it's not his role to compel. And it means that he needs to rest in the things that God is doing. He needs, he needs to trust that God knows what he is doing. And so then as God starts to unfold his plan, and so that as God will start to unfold his plan of judgment, it's not his place to judge either, is it? It's not his place to punish. It's not his place to, to execute judgment. It's not his role. That's God's role. And so he rests in God. And he rests in the promises of God, but he also rests in the things that God is going to do. These things that he's wrestling through. Because God has already identified the answer. We talked about this last week when Solomon dedicated the temple. God already gave the answer. He says, if my people who are called by my, by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will what? I'll heal the land and, and I'll bring revival, bring renewal. And so and he's telling this to Solomon about the nation of Israel. He says, Solomon, if the nation of Israel does these things and they, and they come back, I'm going to do this is what I'm going to do. But, Solomon, if the people of Israel become obstinate, if they become idol worshipers, if they reject me, if they reject what takes place at this temple, then I'm going to bring judgment. And God now is bringing judgment. Why? Because the nation of Israel as a whole for hundreds of years had rejected God and run away from God. Now you had pockets of time where, where the nation was righteous and you had pockets of individuals who constantly and faithfully walked with the Lord. But as a whole, as a nation, they constantly ran from God. And now God is fulfilling his word. Habakkuk, you need to rest in me. Look at verse 5. And again, I think he shifts back again to the, those running from God in probably Babylon. Moreover, wine betrays. An arrogant man is never at rest. He enlarges his appetite, appetite like Sheol, and like death he is never satisfied. He gathers all the nations to himself. He collects all the peoples for himself. Habakkuk, that's what you're seeing looming on the horizon. So Habakkuk, let me tell you what's beyond the horizon. Let me tell you what's behind what's cresting over the horizon. Let me tell you what's going to take place to those who are going to bring harm to the nation of Israel. Look at verse 6. Won't all those who take up a taunt against him with mockery and riddles about him, they will say, Woe to him who amasses what is not his own, what is not his. How much longer? And loads himself with goods taken in pledge. Won't your creditors suddenly arise and those who disturb you wake up? Then you will become spoil for them. Since you have plundered many nations, all the people who remain from plunder will plunder you because of human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. And again, just like walk back, let's go back to the top and walk through. Won't all those who take up a taunt against him with mockery and riddles about him, they will say, woe to him who amasses what is not his. This is coming. This is coming. The language and the taunt 
in the recognition that this person who is lifted up, this person who has, this nation that has gorged itself on other nations, this nation who's stepped in and walked in and abused others and taken and stolen, who has taken what is not his. You ever think about this? What drives people throughout history? You have someone who has a nice place. They enjoy their place. They take time to make it nice. They plant flowers. They plant fields. They, they raise crops. They raise critters to eat and ride and all that kind of stuff. And, and, they, and our communities grow and develop and they prosper and they work together and they achieve good things as a community. Why is it that someone from the outside looks at that and decides, oh, that's nice. I think I'll take it. And all through history, that goes on. That's how nations have established armies. That's how towns built walls. And this is why towns had soldiers. Because all through history, there was always someone around who wanted to take from someone else what someone else had. Woe to him. Woe to the person who amasses what is not his and how much longer and loads himself with goods taken in pledge, i.e., I'm taking your stuff, but the, whole, the idea of the pledge is judgment is coming. Won't your creditors suddenly rise up? And the answer is yes. And those who disturb you wake up. Yes, they're going to wake up. And then you will become spoil for them. The Assyrians became spoil for the Babylonians. The Babylonians became spoil for the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians became spoil for the Greeks. The Greeks became spoil for Rome. And Rome became spoil for the hordes. You just see the process flow through history. The arrogant and the proud and those who take. And that which is dumped on them is fed back over time. Habakkuk, judgment is coming to the Babylonians. It's coming. Since they have plundered many nations and all the peoples who remain will plunder you because of human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. Go to the book of Daniel. Read through chapter 4 again. This is where Belshazzar is having that party and the writing on the wall. I think it's chapter 4, maybe chapter 5. And the writing is the wall. I find you lacking in me and in, in your days are numbered and judgment's coming. And they bring in Daniel and he says, it's tonight. Tomorrow you're going to be defeated. You're going to be dead. Habakkuk, 
Rest in me. Trust me. Again, faith is about trusting God. Habakkuk, trust me. Judgment is coming. It is coming. Trust me. Now, we could go back. I kind of skipped over this, but we could go back in verses 9 to 11. God said, and he talks about the nation of Babylon and the horribleness and the brutalness of who it is. They come to do violence. They come to steal. They come to kill. And Habakkuk goes, God, how can you, a righteous God, use wicked people? And God gives the answer. Habakkuk, judgment is coming. Drop down to verses 9 to 11. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house, to place his nest on high, to escape the grasp of disaster. You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many peoples and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. I love that picture of conversation taking place in the house. Back and forth, the, the, the side walls, the, in, the, in, the, in the floors, and the roof, talking to one another about the judgment that's going to come to that household. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house. You ever see that? We have movies about this, don't we? Watch a good mafia movie. Right? Watch a good mafia movie, and, and you, you watch all these good mafia movies, and, you know, the, the Don is kind of lording over others, and he's kind of building his stuff, and then someone eventually comes out around to what? And knocks out the Don and takes out his family. Now, we've had those movies. Why? Because to a degree, they happen in real life. And what's going on? People are saying, I need to establish my household. And if I'm going to establish my family and protect my family and set us up so that we can succeed and, and have dominance for a long period of time, and they, and they seek to do that, but what's going on? They are going to get knocked off and they're going to get destroyed. Track through history and you see this happening time after time after time after time after time. I'm going to make a safe place. It's not so safe. What's the reality? You've planned shame for your house. Shame. Humiliation. Embarrassment. The finger pointing. The wagging tongue the whispered comments as someone walks by. There will be judgment. Now, there's three more woes. And we'll look at those woes next week. Two takeaways I want you to walk away with today. Number one, living by faith means 
trusting, resting in God's faithfulness. Habakkuk, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. Habakkuk, I know what I'm doing, and I know how I'm going to do it, and it might confuse you, it may not make sense, but Habakkuk, trust me. I'm going to bring discipline to the nation of Israel, but I'm also going to bring judgment on those who hurt the nation of Israel. And it may not make sense to you, and it may confuse you, but Habakkuk, I want you to trust me. And I would say to you in our own journey, we need to learn to trust God. We need to learn to trust his word. And so as we build our lives on his promises, and as we start to build our lives on the principles that God lays out in his word, Learning to live by faith is saying, okay, God, I'm going to live on these promises. I'm going to live on these principles. It doesn't always make sense, but God, I'm going to trust you. And we learn to live by faith. God, I'm going to hold on to you for forgiveness of sin. I don't really understand how trusting on on the work of Jesus and the cross of Calvary is going to provide forgiveness for my sin. Again, for me, one of my favorite verses, as I've said to you before, 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who knew no sin become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. God, I don't know how that happens. I don't know how you swap out my sinfulness and give me Jesus' righteousness. I don't know how it works, but God, I'm going to trust you. I don't need to understand all the mechanics. I don't need to understand all of how the pieces fall into place. I don't need to know all of the ins and outs. All I need to know, God, is that you've said it. I'm going to rest in those promises. I'm going to try to build my life on those principles, and I'm going to live by that. I'm going to trust it. We don't always have to understand. And by the way, people wrestle with these issues, but all of us have issues of faith. And even people who choose to walk away from God or people who choose to ignore God, there's always issues of faith that are guiding and founding their life that they can't always explain. Every single one of us has a point in our journey where we come to a point of faith and we trust what we don't understand. I choose to trust what I don't understand with Jesus. And trust that when God says, even though it doesn't always make sense, I'm going to rest in it, I'm going to trust in it, and I'm trusting that God is going to work out the details. And that's the journey of faith. We need to learn to rest. We need to learn to lean in to the hug of God. And trust. Number two. We need to live recognizing that at some point, there will be accountability. Now, in our wiring, it's the same kind of wiring that Habakkuk wrestled with. We want to determine the when and the where and the how. Again, we've we've talked about this. Wouldn't you love that turkey who whips past you on the highway going stupid miles an hour? Wouldn't it be so satisfying about three miles up to see him pulled over with a cop behind him with the bubble lights going? It would be wonderfully satisfying. It just seldom happens. Every once in a while we have the satisfaction of seeing some idiot driver around us getting pulled over by a cop and seeing them get a ticket. Every once in a while that happens and it's satisfying. But the reality is we don't get to pick the when or the where or the how. We just don't. But the truth of the matter is, there's always accountability. Always. Everyone, at one point in time, is going to stand before God, and there is going to be accountability. Everyone. 
there is always, always accountability. We need to rest in the promises of God. Part of what God is saying to Habakkuk, Habakkuk, you need to trust me for the accountability that I will bring. Habakkuk, I see the things you're seeing, and I am more vexed about the things that you're seeing, Habakkuk, than you are. But Habakkuk, I want you to trust me that I will bring the accountability at the right time in the right way. Trust me. Isn't it interesting how it comes back to that faith component? Trust in God. See, that's a come that statement would be identified as that key statement in Habakkuk. The just shall live by faith. The righteous will live by faith. We need to learn to trust God. Amen. Amen. Now,